Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uncut Gems podcast. I'm Kevin Kadish. I'm Nathan Chapman. And this is not a podcast about hit songs. This is a podcast about songs that were never hits, that probably should have been, and the stories behind them. On this podcast, we'll be talking to some of the world's most well-known and unknown songwriters about their uncut gems. So if you ever wondered about all those songs that are written that you never get to hear, guess what? You get to hear them now on the Uncut Gems podcast. Today's guest, Nashville music business veteran, Mr. Jody Williams. Yes, Jody Williams. Oh my gosh. Usually, Kevin, you usually you do the, the intro stuff. Yeah. I'm doing it today. Okay. Because... Jody's my guy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> belongs to you. Belongs to <laughs> Did you brand him? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. So usually this is where we say, this songwriter has written hits such as, you know, mm-hmm. but you're not a writer. Yeah, I like that. But we have, the, I like that because Dan Huff wasn't a writer and he's one of the yeah. biggest episodes we've had. Jody's nickname for me is my career. Like that's what I call him <laughs> when I'm uh, feeling a little bit joyful. Because you call him your career? Yeah, he's my career. That oh. it all starts and ends with Jody. And the thing about Jody is that there are dozens, maybe more people who feel that way. Because oh, wow. if we were to have a publisher on, you might be like, well, this person pitched this song that got cut or they signed this writer. Or they believed in this person. But Jody has this way of putting people together and seeing people's talents that is unlike anybody else in this town. He's like a musical Yenta. He is. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Just so, stop right now. No, I mean, but like, so if we were going to list things that Jody can claim responsibility or being an integral part of, you know, like Josh Turner and um, the Liz Rose Taylor Swift combination. Wow. Um, that was a big one. Yes. Uh, he was a big part of Eric Church's uh, launch. Eric's wife, Catherine Blassett Game, was working for Jody and Jody was helping with just the, yep. like Eric was around. It's like, I felt like he was kind of a writer at Jody yeah, Williams music. Yeah, I did too. But, <laughs> but um, except for the, when the royalty checks didn't exactly. go your way. That's, That's right. what I was thinking. <laughs> That's right. I felt like it was until the checks came in but, and didn't go to us. Yeah, but I think I've never met someone who can tell me something's not good in a loving way that makes me feel better about it before we talked about it than before we had talked about it. And encouraged me on things that I'm good at and seen what my next step should be where my strengths are, things I need to work on. And I've consciously tried to talk to people the way Jody talks to me, and I, I just can't do it. Is it like it's a, just like who a men- he is. Like a mentorship? Is that, is yeah, that it's... A, or like a, like a... Jody hasn't said a word yet. Svengali. <laughs> how, you know, how do you see Nathan, Jody? No, no, no. But we don't need to get into that now. <laughs> well, I just think it's all so relational. It's it's first and foremost, before the music, before anything, you're... You meet somebody and you got to care about that person before you start advising them or anything and you find out about them and you get to know them a little bit before you start rendering what might be the wrong opinion, judgment, the yeah. judgment and all that stuff. So um, just a, a quick story. I I had a, a publishing company from 1999 to 2006. And in the middle of all that, uh, I stumbled on Stephanie Chapman. Oh, wow. Um, uh, her her then manager dropped off a cassette or a CD or something of, of Stephanie. And I thought I, I waited like two or three months before I listened to it. And then I listened to it and I made the moves to sign her and did. And little did I know I was getting Nathan sort of as part of the package, you know, and I realized what a really good producer he was. He was doing just demos, you know, pretty simple demos on people. This is pre-Taylor Swift? This is pre-Taylor Swift. Okay. And um, so we got to know each other and just became fast friends. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like, no, it, it was like in, sort of instant, like, oh, let's be friends, you know? Yeah. And the next thing you know, I said, you know, we've got this little shack in the parking lot of our office and you could set up your studio in there and do demos for us and just charge us uh, a flat rate when he's playing all the instruments and everything. So right. the next thing, you know, uh, I was working with Liz Rose um, and she would, you know, she was writing with Stephanie. They wrote some great songs together, by the way. You published Liz back then? Or? Yeah. Okay. I published Liz and, um, and Stephanie, I was interested in uh, developing as an artist. Cause I just, I still to this day think she's just one of my favorite people I've ever heard write a song. Yeah. She's awesome. And, um, so 
That's, you know, Nathan was there every day. Liz was there every day. Stephanie was there most every day. And we just, there were just songs being cranked out. And the ones that were, you know, deemed demoable, Nathan would, the writers would just go back to the little shack in the back and give them to Nathan. And Nathan, in a day, would crank out a track. So back then, there were songs that were written that maybe you guys could veto doing a demo on because you didn't think it was a good song or the writer didn't like it. How did you actually make that? decision? Was that an in-house group decision or was it more like I'm paying for it? I, I don't even know. Well, it just, it just depends on who the writer was for oh, okay. like for Stephanie and, um, and some others, uh, I, I sort of like Stephanie is an artist. So St- I sort of felt yeah. like if they're so inexpensive yeah. to, to do. So Nathan would do all of the Stephanie stuff that she wanted to do. Uh, I was very liberal with demos back then. Yeah. And, um, nowadays you can't, you can't really do much without having a demo. And the demo sometimes just becomes the record at the end of the day. Well, so. I think there's a little bit of change going on right now with all that, especially in country music. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then, um, Liz Liz Rose wrote a lot of songs with a girl named Kim Patton Johnston. And Kim loved to get a rhythm section and, and track. Right. And so she would hire um, Mike Rucky and Natalie Hemby. Oh, wow. She, Mike, Mike would put the track together and Natalie would sing all the vocals on those Liz and um, Kim songs. So... But, you know, Liz didn't want to write with bigger writers. Um, she was fine writing with Stephanie. She was fine writing with teenagers that she found that were aspiring artists. And one of those people was Taylor Swift. And, and she found Taylor or did she you met, introduce them? Or? No, I didn't. I think Taylor, this is when Taylor had a uh, uh, demo or a, you know, a development deal at RCA. Oh, okay. And I think Leslie Roberts, the way I understand it, is Leslie Roberts, who now works at BMI, uh, was an A&R person up at uh, RCA and introduced Liz and Taylor and mm-hmm. thought that they would be good to write oh. together. Then the next thing you know, Taylor's coming into our office like she's our writer. And her her mother or father would sit in our little lobby the whole time while they wrote, you know, after school till about seven o'clock at night. And... um they just started turning in these songs and they would be really most of them. I think you demoed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, pretty much most of them. Well, everything that, that Taylor and, and Liz wrote, I was demoing. She was writing with other, with people. other people. Right. And that's and how you I actually ended up getting the gig basically. Yeah. At so, the end of the day, I mean, it went through other processes, but yeah. It, yeah. My, my demos that I made with Taylor and Liz kind of like Taylor pointed at that and said, that's my sound you know, what we were doing together. And then, so then when we made like 14 years old or 15. Yeah. And and then at, um, when we made the record, she would bring in the other songs that she had written with other people. And then I would produce those. So, so Jody, you signed Liz. So did you have, as a publisher, you had a lot of pieces on the first couple Taylor records or I had, uh, all of the Liz Rose co-writes on the first record, which I think were seven. Seven? Seven songs, yeah. And then maybe three on the next record. And that was, I think that was it. Liz had, I, I had- um, self-published now, right? <clears throat> well, she went to, she went from me to uh, to Barbara Orbison. Okay. And uh, I think You Belong With Me, that, that's, that's, that was written while she was with Barbara Orbison. Okay. Wow. So you started this in what, you said 96? 99. 99. And then you went to 2006. That's pretty good for, you know- that short period of time having that big of a catalog. And that was just one writer. I can't imagine. Who else did you publish during that time? Well, we had Josh Turner. The, the, you know, the best thing, the smartest thing I did was I hired our intern, um, <clears throat> Catherine Blassingame from Belmont, to be my creative director when she was still a senior at Belmont. Wow. Because that's what I could afford. She was the best in my price range. And, um, hey, but I mean, it worked out. It, you know? it worked out great. So she, she said, I was taking meetings with all these aspiring people. And she walked in one day and she said, um, you know, there's this kid in my class that sings better than any of these people coming in to sing to you, you know, for you right now. I said, well, get him in here. Let's, let's hear him. And it was Josh Turner. Goodness. And so he comes in and he's, Nathan will remember this. I mean, Josh was pretty laid back. Back then, he didn't really speak unless he was spoken to. So he walks in, he's got shorts on, and he had this guitar, and he just didn't say much. I thought, I thought, okay, well, nice to meet you. I guess you should sing now, you know. And man, he sang, he sang "Long Black Train." He had just written it, oh and um, I, I, you know, Great. this guy that didn't wasn't showing a lot of personality. He sang that song like no, 
no, not pitchy, perfect. Yeah. And he wasn't a guitar player. I mean, he could play the guitar just barely. Right. And man, I just thought, oh my gosh. I said, Catherine, we've got to get this guy writing with Liz Rose and everybody in here. Pat McLaughlin, we've got to get him writing with everybody in here. And you've got to take him to a store and buy him some clothes. <laughs> and <clears throat> we are, we're going to get this guy ready to He's get a record deal. He was just a college kid though, right? He was just a college kid. I mean, super shy. Yeah. Super shy. Wow. wow. But he had this, he had really, you know, and a lot of his songs were, uh, you know, religious yeah. by nature. He's a real believer. He's a Christian and, and uh, he's just one of the most solid dudes I've ever met. I mean, he's just a great guy. Wow. Great guy. So that was, Catherine had really good taste. And then maybe maybe two or three years later, she started dating Eric Church. And she oh. come, she'd come in late to work. Actually, she came in late to work a lot, and she just told me to not worry about it. And I was like, so, Catherine, don't worry about I, it. Don't I, don't I tell you what's going on? And you, don't, so, you don't worry about it, okay? You, you, I, I kind of, you just keep paying I'm just check. telling you. I'm just telling you that's the way Catherine was wired, but she was so good at what she did, I just sort of, like, looked the other way. Next thing you know, I, she's, you know, she's not getting to work on time. So what are you doing? I mean, where do you spend the night? You know, what's going on? And she she said, oh, I, well, I, you know, I, I work out at this gym like she she's a night owl. She, I, I knew she, I, she just stays up. They, you know, if you get an email from Catherine, it's usually at three o'clock in the morning. And so she's like, no, I've been I've been working out. And she uh, out where Eric lived off of somewhere off of uh, Nolensville Road back in those days. So. They were they were hanging out. Next thing you know, Eric's coming in writing with Liz and writing with a bunch of our people. And I just thought, well, that's that's you know, he's he was really talented. And um, Arthur Buenahora was publishing him at Sony and trying to help him get a record deal. And um, my son, Driver, uh, had just gotten out of college at Arizona State and started working at my office. And Catherine and he became pals. And he was in a metal band in. Uh, in Phoenix, sort of a rap metal band. And so, you know, Catherine and Driver become friends. And then Eric is telling Catherine, you know, when I get a record deal and when I put my band together, I want a blues guitar player and I want a metal guitar player. I want two lead guitar players Mm -hmm. doing that. And so Catherine took Eric to see Driver play in a band called your son's going to be like, he doesn't remember my band. I do. I, I, no, I, we'll, I we'll edit it. Um, we can edit it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not <laughs> editing this. This is great. <laughs> so it was- Bush Hog. Bush Hog. Oh, I remember that name. Yeah, Bush Hog. So Driver played, I think, one gig with Bush Hog at the exit end, and they got signed to, they were signed to Sony. And Eric's, Eric went up to him after the show and said, when I get my record deal, you're going to be in my band. And to his word, he called him, and he's been playing with Eric for almost 17 years. Drivers? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like Driver is responsible for ratcheting up the live show and the records of Nashville. I've told Driver this before because Eric had this reputation of basically having way more rock energy than anybody he opened for when he first got started. And I feel like all of that came from Driver. Like I remember Eric was opening for Dirk Spentley and Dirk's went and fired his whole band and hired new guys with mohawks and stuff. (laughs) I mean, between Driver and the energy that Miranda had live with her band and the look, just the attitude, you know, that kind of like, yeah, we're here to rock your melt your face, you know. Like it, that was that was a new thing for country music. That that was yeah. But, Eric Eric just that was the the uh, edict from Eric. Really, before take he no even prisoners. had a band, he knew what he wanted. He it knew to be. exactly what he that's, wanted. That's and, awesome. And I and I never discount so artist people. I never disc exactly. And I I never discount Catherine in that mix, encouraging yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, Catherine's super sharp when it comes to all that stuff too. Wow. So after Eric got a deal, obviously Josh had success. What do you do when you, you sell your your publishing company or well, something? Well, I got a call from Donna Hilly, who was running Sony at the time, and she said, I've been told to get rid of all of my joint ventures. Okay. Okay. No, whether they're successful or not. So this was Big Yellow Dog. This was this was like a lot of, they had ventures with a bunch of people. Right. Mine at that point was just becoming successful. I mean, Taylor had not become Taylor Swift yet. She was she was a new artist that was doing well. So I said, well, what am I going to do? I, I got to, you know, I, I've, I sort of was raised to own half of something 
and yeah. be satisfied with that and use somebody else's money and you put in the sweat equity and don't go into your nest egg to yeah and I, I'm still that way yeah so I thought okay well what am I going to do I guess I should, I, I'm things are going well I I need to find somebody to pay for my overhead because back then joint ventures they would pay for your you know the salaries and your yeah. rent and all that stuff well they don't do that now no I know so I thought well, what am I going to do and then the phone rings and it's uh, Del Bryant at BMI, who's running BMI, and said, do you want to come run the office, the creative department of BMI? And I'd worked there two other times in my career earlier. I was a writer rep for nine years, and then I worked in the mailroom in the mid-70s. And well, my kids were in high school and college, and I mean, it was like- You needed a paycheck. I needed a pay. I mean, my, you know, Karen, my wife, was just like, you probably should take this job. It pays really well. You can work there a long time. You know, you don't have to learn the job. You've already worked there. And really, I kind of always wanted that job because yeah. I'd worked for Frances Preston when she was when she had that job. And great mentor of mine, Roger Sovine, I worked for him when I was a writer rep there. So I thought, this is cool. This is like a full circle deal. And I'm just going to go back there and they pay well. So I asked my kids, you know, Driver was just out of college and starting his life. I said, should I save this catalog? And my my other son, Ed, who Nathan knows really well, he's super sharp about music, too. And, and he's four years younger. So I asked both the kids, I said, should I save this catalog? Because they understood publishing. They, mm -hmm. you know, they came to the office all the time. And we played Smasher Trash with demos, you know, on the way to, <laughs> to Oak Hill. That's um, my kids a lot. go to Oak Hill. Ah, That's awesome. Man. Yeah. And so they said, no, dad, this is your thing. You, you know, you could go ahead and sell it. So I sold it to Olay, uh, wow. um, which is now Anthem. And at that time, I got a really, they, they were looking for a tentpole catalog to sort of build their office around. Right. And so the, the multiple they gave me was much higher than people were getting at the time. So I thought, I'll go ahead and sell the whole thing and I won't really need that money. So I'll just put it away. Right. Which is what I did for 14 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And then, um, so I took the job at BMI and it was, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, I, I love BMI. I can't imagine what this music community would be without BMI. Right. And is there, and this is something for people in, in the music business, as opposed to maybe people who are just listeners who are fans of music, but do you feel like being the head of BMI, was there like a, a real time... ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, like rivalry, or is it more just like we all work together, we're trying to do the same thing? Or like, how do you feel like it really was? Because you hear like, oh, well, BMI does this and ASCAP does this. And like being in the captain's chair, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, my perspective is you have to be competitive and you have to, uh, so you, you don't want to be outpaid by CSAC and ASCAP on every co-write that's out there. So there's got to be, you got to stay competitive. And part of my job was to alert the team at BMI. If we were shy a few thousand dollars on a number one hit, maybe we should move a little more money to the songs that end up in the top 10, right. you know, to stay competitive. And we, I was, we were doing that for Christian music and we were doing that for, you know, any, you know, all genres that really were coming out of Nashville. So did you guys really match or is it just trying to get it as close no, as possible? Just trying to get as close as possible. Just trying right. to, and ask the, the, the other PROs are doing the same thing. Yeah. We're all doing the same thing. But that, that competition, it was super healthy. It's, right. it's like the, the, the benefactor was the whole music, the whole songwriting community. Right. Because we were all really trying to. It was to, for the good of the writer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the yeah. publisher. Because sometimes hearing things like, I don't know if like CSAC is trying to break bigger in the market or. Well, they, you know, they, they talk, they all, you know, I think they all talk. During communication. But, you know, each organization's information is very proprietary yeah. and they all guard that information, right. you know, really well. So you, you are at BMI for how long then? How long were you there the third time? The third time, like 13 and a half years, almost 14 Ooh. years. Goodness gracious. Like it was much longer than I wanted to be because what, what, when I started for about the first five or six years, it was meeting with writers and helping just advise, doing a lot of advising, but I was, right. the job slowly became super administrative, like those jobs yeah. get. And I didn't really, I wasn't meeting with writers after about seven years to listen to music anymore. That's and when that, stops getting fun. That, that, I had no music in my, coming at me right. that I could 
render an opinion on, you know, and I love that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, one thing that sort of carried me through my career, and I, I think I was this way when I was in high school, too, is that, and this guy, this sounds so awful when I say it, but I've, I've always valued my opinion about music more than anybody else's. Like well, I don't I really. Think that's important, though. I don't think it's awful at all. Well, I, I, yeah, but it, it. Well, I just you don't like wanna... what you like, and you know what you like. That's all it really and, says to me, right? Like, and then what I what I hear, I go, well, if I like it this much, there's got to be some other exactly. people that like it this much. Yeah. And so, like when I heard Stephanie Chapman, I thought, why isn't anybody signing this Stephanie Chapman girl? She's she's not good. She's great. Listen right. to her sing, right. even if she didn't write songs. I mean, she's great. So, I don't know. I just. Uh, that's that's always served me well. So being at BMI or being a publisher, whatever you choose, what is the thing that usually hits you? Of, like, I want to sign this person or I think this person's great. Or like, are there like things that you look for specifically? Uh, artist, obviously the voice and the connectivity of, of their voice. But as a writer, if there are songwriters who are aspiring here, like what do you look for for aspiring writers that makes you like, oh, this this has got something. They just have to write a. It's 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 music and lyric, but the lyric has got to come in through the bathroom window. It's got to it can't be redundant. I mean, we've got enough of yeah. whatever's happening right now. We're I, I'm not going to sign somebody that's going to beat Ashley Gorley at his game. He's the best at right. what Ashley Gorley does. I'm looking. Uh, six months to a year and a half down the road of where, especially when we're talking about country music, of where I think that wave is going to crest, right. you know, and what what would fit that. So what I listen for in a writer artist is the voice, like a super unique voice. Um, Stephanie has that. A girl named Harper O'Neill and Peyton Porter have that, that right for me now. Right. And I really want to find somebody who who can write the whole song by themselves and not depend on two other people in the room. You know, I look for that. If, you know, they, they don't make a lot of those anymore, you know, but they're, they're finishers. I mean, they're, they're self-contained, but they're, you know, yeah. obviously they co-writing is a whole dif- different it's skill a, than writing alone. It's a whole different skill. So, um, I, I just, just, just the, the opposite of redundancy. It's got to right. be, it's got to have originality, that, you know, I, that I've really never. What's happening I, right now? Not chasing. Yeah, yeah, just don't it, chase the radio. Just, just get like somebody who's good at what they do. If they can get, if under my watch, if they can get better at what they do, right. then it's then you're talking about you know then we got something hmm. to play for other people and try to you know get it on the radio. So if you're listening and you're a writer, don't copy other people's shit. Find your own voice. Find your own way to say things. Be original. Yeah, if you, Bar- you can. Yeah, As, borrow. I mean, bar- yeah, we all borrow. All writers borrow. You're, use your influences, but don't be your influences. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, do you have anything that you want to play us today as far as an uncut gem? Like you probably have had many that you haven't been able to get cut for know. some reason or. I mean, I would just think that of anyone who has uncut gems, I mean, A, you sign writers that you love mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, writers that are writing great songs. What I don't know. What's the hit rate for a normal writer? One out of ten songs is pretty darn good. <laughs> about that's about right. Well, pretty darn good so, does not make it a hit, though. It just yeah. means it's pretty darn good. So yeah. maybe like let's say you've been publishing, or you've been in the music business for however long you've been, and let's say ten songs a year, you would you would plant your flag on and say this is an amazing. I don't. Song. I don't think it's would, more than that. About is it about ten a year? Mm-hmm. Of of all the stuff you've heard of all the like right now we've got twelve writers, and it's about ten a year that you'd go, let's go. Like it's not would, more than that that you yeah. would put your brand on and say I. What's I, amazing is that if you ask the writers, <laughs> it's like, well, I've got at least ten this year that I think are amazing. Yeah, no, but I, I don't. I'm very critical. I I a and r my own. Writing career, but, but most songwriters hard. are not. Most yeah. songwriters, you know, and it's always the newest song they like. Like Jody will tell you, best. I'll I'll call him and be like, I had fun today, but it was a dog turd. <laughs> we <laughs> wrote a dog turd. Yeah, I like Nathan introduced me to the term nothing burger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> spent the whole day and that's uh, a nothing burger. That's funny. Yeah, driver, driver. When he writes, he rates his songs one out of three. Oh, like it's, it's it's one out of three or two out of three or three out of three. Okay, and so I know how he feels about it. Bef- like yeah. when he sends it in, 
So I know he'll how, say this is a three out of three or a two yeah, out of three. Yeah, and I know how he feels before I even listen to it. I like yeah. and I like knowing because because if he if he thinks it's a three out of three, um, I have an expectation that may be higher than that. Right. Or it, he may have nailed it and I go, golly, that is great. You know what's yeah. interesting about like I never have a clue what's gonna be a hit. Like Well, I, see I, that's the thing. I think feeling like you've written a great song. Some of my favorite versus, songs I've written, I they never even get cut. I know, but writing yeah. a great song and having success with a song are two completely different things. Yes, I agree. Sometimes they line <laughs> up and both things exist at the same time. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have a great song. Everyone on your team knows it's great and it never makes a dollar. And sometimes you have a dog turd that makes millions of dollars. And to have yeah. that division in your brain, I think is really important because that way, when you're talking to your publisher, you can't gripe that your best songs haven't made you money. Right. To me, that is the wrong approach as a writer because Jody could gripe about the same thing. Like we're all in the same boat, you know, sometimes the stars align and great songs make money. But a lot of times, do you agree with it? I, I totally agree. And that doesn't knock the songs that are less than that make money because sometimes a song that did come through the front door, sometimes those are written perfectly for what they are supposed to do in the marketplace. Right. You know? And so in that way, it's, it's a great song. It's more commerce than art, honestly. Sometimes it's a great song in that it's a song that will accomplish what the artist or the sync license or whatever it is it needs. It, it accomplishes that task beautifully. That's so but true. But it doesn't mean that it's a great song the way we think of great songs. Right. Well, I think the, the bro country era, you know, lowered the bar dramatically on the quality of songwriting for about 10 years here. Wow. And uh, I remember after one BMI Country Awards, uh, maybe five years ago, and I was with Mike Dungan, and I said, did you have a good time at the awards? He said, yeah, I had a great time. He said, there's only one problem. I said, well, what was it? He said, every single song sounded exactly alike. Every oh, single song had, that had the same tempo. Every single song had the same kind of subject matter, yeah. you know? Mm. And so we're coming out of that now. Uh, yeah, we are. Thankfully. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, the mark, you know, the record companies who put out this music are are feeding the public and what what the public wants. And they have a pretty good idea of what the public wants. What's interesting to me is like, I feel like it's coming out of it a lot because of streaming, honestly, because yeah. radio had such boundaries. On it still you, does. But mm -hmm. there are no boundaries on streaming. No. Like people get to pick what they like. They can discover stuff on their own, you know? So like... I think it's been good for people who aren't straight up the middle. Streaming has been fantastic for artists it's, and writers like that. It's just been so good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, look at, you know, Zach Bryan. I know. You know. It's amazing. Has like the hottest record out there. Not in, really in country much radio. In country music and is really not on the radio. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's, he's not on even XM. really country to me. He's like he's, David Gray folk. Yeah. It's everybody's favorite topic these days when you're talking yeah. about music is Zach Bryan. But and it's good that people are talking about it. But it's great. No, streaming is is just wonderful. And that I mean publishers the other thing that publishers have are now realizing is that they they should be putting out their own records. Yes. Because a record label is really not going to pick up the artist unless you've proven to them that they will work in the digital space. Hmm. So we've done that with Peyton Porter. We did that with Jason Nix. And Harper O'Neill has a project that's going to come out that we don't own the masters to, but we publish her and we advise her. You know, I'm trying to help her build her team. Right. You know, that's how I can help her. That's amazing. So so when we talk about the term uncut gem, it has different meanings, really. Is it an uncut it's, gem for for people or is it an uncut gem for radio? So, oh, my, mine is subjective yeah. for my ear only. Exactly. This is what this is what matters to me. Yeah, but to, for what I was going to say is for you to pick one uncut gem be would be really hard because of your perspective, your seat. Like for a writer to do that, it's like they are limited by the amount of great songs they've written. And but all, you, all the great people he's gotten to work with too, writer-wise, yeah. like it must be hard to pick one to play here. And like, I told him when I invited him on the podcast, I said, it doesn't have to be one of my songs. 
I would like it to be, but well, uh, it, and it ended up not being one of it, my songs. Well, it, it was it was almost one of your songs, and it was almost one of your no, songs. But I, I say that in jest because Jody is a very loving person, and he would not want to hurt my feelings, but hurt me. Hurt my <laughs> Sounds like my honeymoon. Um, so this song that you're you're going to play today, what do, I mean, I mean, tell us about. Am it. I doing two? Uh, just yeah, one today. Just just one today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do. Uh, Don't yell at your son. Oh, you should have sent that to my dad. <laughs> Wait. Okay. Uh, I, I know you've all uh, had Travis Meadows on on this yeah. podcast before. He's just an incredible writer. So he and Natalie Hemby and Jeremy Spillman, both of who I work with now, hmm. wrote this song. I don't know how long. Ago. It's it's not a new song, but Jeremy doesn't matter. Jeremy played this for me a year ago. And I just thought, wow. wow, that is just an incredible song. It's just so black and white. Uh, you know, one thing I, I've, I've always said about what I think really great songs are is that they they take a universal idea and they present it to you in a way you've never thought about before. Right. So you can apply that to most any, I think, hit song or or not, but... I mean, I just th- this is this is something I've never heard being said that direct, right. like you know, sort of like a, a parental. It's like parental uh, advice is what this song is about. But it's it's presented in such a way that you it gets in your heart really yeah. fast, really it's fast. It's got connective tissue. Yeah. Let's well, let's listen to "Don't Yell at Your Son." Okay. On the Uncut Gems podcast. Sneaking through the house Now he's hiding in his bedroom Scared you'll chew him out Daddy, please Don't yell at your son Boys grow up in minutes And minutes turn to years Every word you say Build him up Or make him fear you Don't yell at your son Yeah, I know sometimes he don't listen We both know just where he gets it Shape him up Don't knock him down Cause life is hard enough You know he'll be just like you You should be the one he's running to Instead of who he's always running from Daddy, please Don't yell at your son I know you really love him Yeah, he's his daddy's kid But if you really love him Don't do what your daddy did to you Don't yell at your son Yeah, I know sometimes he don't listen We both know just where he gets it Shape him up, don't knock him down Cause life is hard enough You know he'll be just like you You should be the one he's running to Instead of who he's always running from Daddy, please Don't yell at your son I learned about forgiveness Long after you were gone I guess I'm trying to tell you son I'm sorry 
church and um miranda lambert duet on that she mm. sings a second verse like it it feels to me like written for that yeah i mean wow or tim or i mean that that's i i just something about travis's voice it just rem, reminds me of eric's vibe or something yeah well, eric is not a golden-throated vocalist you know he he has a voice that pulls you in just like yeah. travis does yeah. and that's you know, I picked two songs, and the other song also had to do with forgiveness mm. too. Wow! And and this is this is though I, I love the way this song just ends up. Like yeah. everybody in the picture is going to be okay at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. That's that's the, that's that, what I'm left with. Yeah, that's the song is so good that my arms are hot. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm having an adrenal reaction. <laughs> I don't know. That's very weird. <laughs> Should I see a doctor? Well, I, I think you're good. I, I mean, think you're like, okay. That, I mean, that's what music is for. That song to me is what music is for. It's like making you think, moving yes. you emotionally. I mean, it feels like a, a Grammy kind of, obviously it's the yeah. dream team. It's Travis yeah. and Natalie and, and Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, it's but I think that's, that's what I think that's what Nashville is. But that's the that's a shining example of the a lyrical Nashville. prowess. Yeah, yeah, that's what can happen on any given day. That's that's yeah. the other great thing about, you know, I I pitched that song often. Oh wow! Just because, and I don't even we don't even have a piece of it, mm. but I, I'll send it to people who I think have really great ears. You know, the producers that are that are out there, even if it's not because nobody's looking for that. I mean, no, they're not going to say they're either going to love it or they're they're, going to hear it and love it or they're not. Yeah, Everybody listens to it over and over again. You can tell. Yeah. Like that to me, that's one of the best of Nashville, like the house that built me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it's that's what it feels like. It feels like quality. That's the bar. But yeah. But when you're trying to get to. But when you're partying on a Friday night, the best of what L.A. does feels great in that moment. You know, but I feel like when Nashville wants to try and out Friday night, other genres that's kind of when we start to lose our no, way. No, I, I disagree. I think that I think that a Friday night in LA is different than a Friday night in Alabama. Honestly, like I think that it's all about perspective and the people who are listening to the music. I think that Luke Bryan has songs that people love on Friday nights in Alabama. Yeah, but they might not listen to it at the Roxy in LA or the the Troubadour. They might not work there. I guess the motivation for me bringing that up would be that a lot of times when you're making a record, people are so focused on being that song on that playlist that people right. want to party to that they'll skip over a song like this that is going to hit you when you're driving yeah on a road trip and yeah, I, I, and to not lose that that is just as important as the party playlist do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean i think the bro country era eliminated the chances of a song like that coming out yep. uh for the past several years in other words i i was with a uh, a group of other industry executives and we were having a sort of a group discussion about all this. And somebody brought up the fact that the house that built me and uh, Humble and Kind would not have been cut in the last five years. Right. Mm. I you know, they that. just no, wouldn't or, have been. They or, were, uh, what's the, um, also like the and world Brad is, song, the Whiskey, yeah, whiskey, whiskey Lullaby. Lullaby. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And now, now we're, whereas Bro Country and the radio, the, the narrowness of radio in the Bro Country era was the limitation on some of these great songs getting out and getting heard. Now we're in the TikTok era. And there's that limitation there. It's like great songs are always going to have to grow through the cracks in the sidewalk. Like there, that's there's, exactly there's never right. an environment where it's like, except for what was Steve Earle called the great critical acclaim scare of the late nineties or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, you know, the country, all these, country credibility. Scare. Yeah. The, yeah. The country credibility scare of the late nineties. <laughs> um, besides that era, it's like, there's always going to be headwinds for songs like that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't write them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't champion them. Well, the, you know, everybody's got these songs like that, that they, yeah. that they wrote that day. And I mean, to me, that's the hopefulness of the publishing business. You know, publishers are not on the front lines of getting the public to consume the music. They are mm. there to create an environment for writers to be their best in. Yeah. You know, and yeah. th- have that encouragement and just do whatever it is that you feel that needs to be said. Mm. And I think a lot of track guys 
during the bro country era in the room, you know, making the track during the yeah. session, it, it sped everything up so much. And it, yeah, it gave it, you less time to really, it, it like, gave you less refine time. It. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think, you know, like when I started this company this time, I really wanted to gather people who could, who would do that, who would come back to the song if it needed reworking. Right. You know, so why don't you tell us a little about, you have a new venture now. Yeah. It's um. What's the name of the publishing company? It's, it's not very creative. Jody oh. Williams Songs is what it's called. Jody Williams Music was the old company. Oh, Jody Williams Songs is the new and reinvented. But you, my friend, are name. a songwriter at heart. <laughs> I'm, just, I, I'm just joking. Um. So, how, how many writers do you have now? Like, what do you? We have twelve writers. Mm-hmm. Um. We work with Natalie Hemby. We work with Nathan. We work with Vince Gill. We work with Ashley McBride. So nobody um, who's any good. Nobody who's... In, I, if I can just find some people who could write some I mean, songs. you should get on TikTok, really. I mean, I mean really, should I should. I, I will. You know, it's funny. I found the latest person we signed. <laughs> I think there's actually, I think there's a little man in a closet somewhere who controls all the TikTok. And he knows that I'm sitting in my chair right before I go to bed about 930, scrolling for about 30 minutes. And they send me stuff that I like. I always find stuff that I really? like. Oh my gosh. So in the spring, Harper O'Neill yeah. just popped up and she had about two TikToks out. I mean, she didn't have a bunch of them out or Dude, anything. TikTok wow. knows you so they kn- quick. They know me and they oh have my your gosh. Social security number. Dude, they, they, they know you. Your bank account, man, they, routing I, numbers. I, I scrolled. I, I First time I ever got on it was just people twerking and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. And then the next yeah. time I got it, I've scrolled past that a few times and then all of a sudden, it started being stuff that I like. Yeah. And it's crazy. What it's crazy is, you know, a lot of these TikTok artists are like cartoons, you know? And Harper's not like that at all. Harper's music is more like Bonnie Raitt and Nora Jones. She's got such awesome voice and it's like soulful and she can play the guitar and it, it's nothing like I thought I would find on TikTok. Well, my it's thought, really my good. thought about like, and look, uh, it's, I have a very skewed perspective on TikTok. To me, it's two things. It's a delivery system. Yep. But it's also breeding impatience. Everything on there is like a party trick. It's not like this is a talent that I want to see again. This is like something that would be cool at a party. This is yeah, my you talent. just get tired of it. Yes. You know, where's the depth? There's yeah. no depth. So, but anyway, we have, we've got these 12 writers and we're developing some artists and we have guys like Nathan who are writer producers uh, and who can, I mean, Nathan about every six months will send me a song he wrote by himself. I love getting those. Nathan's interesting because it's not the same thing every time. It's something really different every time because he's, he really gets with the artist that he writes with. He lets them move the car down the road, you know, and he's, he's enhancing all of that. So I think that's part of being a producer too, is like, you want to make the best version of the artist. That's right. It's not all about you. Yeah. Yeah. One time I wrote with Christian Bush, Uh probably 10 years ago, I think I went to Atlanta to write with him for a couple of days and I wanted to write for Sugarland, you know, Uh that's when they were still doing that. And I was like super excited and we get in the room and he goes, man, he's like, I'm here to make you the best you've ever been. And I was like, me? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and he just tackled the right, like I was the artist and I was like, okay, I get it. Like, that's why, wow. you know, he is such a great collaborator that I bet, cause he made me feel like I could just stand up and fly around the room. Like he was just such an encouraging Interesting. vibe. And I thought, well, that's how Jennifer Nettles, you know, that's how they work together. Like yeah. he just yeah. makes her feel like she can do anything. Yeah, and that's great. I, and I, I wanted after that, right. I was like, I want to be that guy. Like when I get in the room with someone, I want to make them feel like today they can be the best. They, yeah. They well, it's can interesting. Well, you Everyone's that. method is so di- like I pretty much only write with artists at this point and I can't just do one day. I need to, the first day I usually would just end up talking because how am I supposed to write your song when I don't know you? You know what I mean? And it's yeah. a lot of people just want to get in there, write a song, get out. Like it's just not the way I work. Mm-hmm. Kevin doesn't just doesn't like just writing a concept of some made up no. story. Kevin's always wants to write a personal song with the artist. But it could be a upbeat. It could be a depressing. I don't care what it is. It's whatever that day is for them. Yeah. I just want to like capture a moment of something that's important to them because the reality is is that people want to sing songs that they actually relate to and not just yeah. like a cool title. They so, yeah, put themselves back in the place where they felt that. 
And I end up writing a song with someone and obviously we're just making up a story about someone who went to a bar and met somebody and... Yeah, but that's got its place too. I know, but every time I do that now, because I've written with you so many times, I'm always like, yeah, but we're just making this up. It's got to be real. <laughs> you know. At least if you're going to do something like that, use pieces from your own experiences. That's right. what, yeah. it doesn't have to be like a Bible, like exactly what happened yeah. and you can't, no, I wasn't wearing a blue shirt. I was wearing a red shirt. Like, yeah. you can't be legalistic about it. But for me, if I don't know the person, it's like me trying to write a song for Tim McGraw. I've never met the guy. Like, how am I going to know what he would ever say? What his personality is like? To me, that's a waste yeah. of a day. Yeah, and there's and and there are people and, can do it. Oh, there's yeah. I think most people do it. I mean, if you if th- I, wish, they, I wish I could be more successful. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done okay. Um, no, but like, when I think about George Strait and Tim McGraw and all the writers who have gotten in rooms and said, you know, Tim's looking, let's write him something. Yeah, they've got a pretty good idea of what has worked for him in the past. And George Strait is exactly the same, and they continue to crank out these wonderful records. Yeah, I mean, like my my one clincher in that whole philosophy of mine was they called me at Warner Chapel to come sit with Meatloaf and play him some songs can you come play Meatloaf some songs? And I was like, sure. So I spent the whole night before, this is when CDs were a thing, made a, a CD of like, yeah, I could hear Meatloaf singing this. I, I mm-hmm. walk in the room and he says, play me something you think Meatloaf would never cut. I was like, oh, fuck my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just wasted an entire night thinking that I knew what he would want and he wants to do something that he is not. And I played him a song that had the F word through the entire chorus. And guess what? He cut it. Wow. The entire chorus had the F word in it. I'm like, there's no way he's going to cut this. And he's like laughing by the end of the first chorus. And he, he cut it. You never know. You never know. Like I, whatever, in terms of song plugging, I mean, it's interesting right now we're getting more calls as a publisher for outside songs. Hmm. Like during, during COVID, you know, it was all about TikTok artists and it was all about the artists were off the road. They were writing more songs themselves. So nobody really cared about outside songs. Mm. Well, now yeah. everybody's back and they don't have really? enough good songs mm. and they want outside songs. Yeah. I mean, everybody. That's does. crazy. That's so like not the last five years it's, of this business. It's, it's just flip flopped right now. Wow. It's really wow. fun because we've got because all the publishers have plenty of great songs. Yeah. So is there anything that you feel like you missed that you were like, I don't hear it and it ended up being a hit? Like, uh, what about the first Taylor Swift album entirely? <laughs> <laughs> I did not get it. I, I'd all, well, but and that's I tell, fair. It's fair because like a 15 year old making country music, country is all about life and life experiences. Well, I, you know, the greatest lesson I learned in music, anytime I'm asked, I tell people this, I learned from Taylor Swift, Liz Rose and Nathan Chapman because Taylor and Liz would write these songs. They come down right when they finished, they'd come down and they wanted to know what I thought and they'd play them for me. And I would go, this is cute. You know, whatever. I would, I was always positive because Taylor was just a kid and I didn't want to blow her out of the water and talk to her like I'd talk to an adult songwriter about, well, you really missed it in the second verse. And I'll tell you why. You could have though, knowing what she is now. Well, knowing (laughs) what she is now, but, but honestly, Liz was a publisher before she was a writer. So she was doing that in the right. I mean, I, I felt like Taylor was getting all of that. So finally, they wrote the song Tim McGraw and I thought okay this sounds like a Taylor Swift song this sounds like a, a kid would say this this is this is really pretty good but I was trying to get Liz to stop writing with Taylor <laughs> I really was I, I said and she said no look g- give us another month before we have this conversation again because I think we're about to turn a corner so they did about two weeks later Tim McGraw came in and then a song called Come In With The Rain Yeah, that I thought Faith Hill could cut this it's a mature song. It's a mature lyric. It's a really fine song. Right. Written the whole way, th- all the way to the end. Really a great song. And then, um, you know, the next day you'd get a demo of these songs from Nathan. They'd be fully demoed t- with a vocal from Taylor. And, you know, I mean, it was awesome. It's like, it's like all this was happening in real time. That's and, incredible. And, and I still, I still didn't get it. But by the time I really got it, I went to the Bluebird because she was playing around and I, and I had offered her a deal. Finally, a pub deal, a pub deal. And she had been courted by uh, Arthur Buenahora, Arturo at Sony. And um, during that writer round, she announced that she had just signed a deal with Sony. And I thought, man, man. you know, I thought, well, that's cool. I've got I've got half of all these songs anyway through Liz. So I'm not like totally missing out. But I finally began to see the magic of her, the artist, 
At the Bluebird. At the well, no, not at the just before that. I just the songs that they were writing. They they all started getting really good. And Liz was exactly right. I needed to just leave them alone and let them evolve. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So no, I, and so I. That's a pretty big miss. No, it's, it's 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 probably <laughs> I'm just it's, joking. It's a huge miss. But I think every anybody who's been in it as long as I have is going to miss some stuff. Yeah, yeah. We've all probably well, missed something, yeah, but great like that. But you didn't, you didn't miss it. You just, just didn't understand it. But, but at the same time, like you, you had positioned yourself where even if you missed it, you still got to win. And yeah. that's that's to me, that's how this business is. Like that's how the chessboard is played. Yeah, you have enough relationships to where you don't have to be right all the time. Yeah, you, and that's where you loved Stephanie's stuff. You brought me in to do demos on other people. You loved Liz. You trusted Liz. And Liz had a plan and told you, and you didn't say, no, you're not going to write with her for one more month. You let the relationships run the game. Yeah. And then you ended up still winning even when you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You know so, what? and I think that that's how the game is really played is just relationships. And that's something that a lot of people don't really understand. It's, but it's also more than that to me. Like what you're saying that your approach to the whole thing, it's right. You're... You like what you like, and you're not going to let other people change your opinion until they actually change your opinion. You're Correct. Not, you're not a yes man. You're not going to like say, oh, yeah, it's great. It's, uh, yeah, I love it. Do you like it? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What the fuck does yeah. that matter? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, just know what you like, know what you don't like, and don't be swayed unless you actually feel like, oh, now I kind of see it. Yeah. You know, Taylor, Taylor knew what was going on when none of us, you know, some yeah. of us didn't know what was going on. Uh, so it's it's fun being around people like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's people who know who they are. Yeah, and it, like they're it makes they're, our job easier. Well, yeah, it's like if their train is going down the track, and all you have to do is hop on and throw gas on the fire. Right, man. If yeah, you like the music, that's yeah. a big win for everybody. Yeah, and I think those are the people who really end up doing something, are the ones who are convicted and not chasing and damn the torpedoes. This yeah. is what I do, and it's good. And if you're going to be late to the party, that's right. Wow, man. Well, it's been so great having you on here. I mean, I know we don't know each other very well, but you and Nathan have go back years and years, but it's really been inspiring and it's been a pleasure to have you on here today. Oh, thank you you so much. much It's great. Great to meet you too. And always great to be with my buddy, Nathan. My career. Thank you, my career for being on here. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Nathan's career. (laughs) I appreciate that. Please. Right on. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Uncut Gems Podcast. We can't forget to thank CAA and all the songwriters for sharing their stories. And remember, the only people who don't make it are the ones who quit. So keep writing. And we'll see you next time on the Uncut Gems Podcast.